Well, let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, these scriptures will be available on the screen for you to follow along. Romans chapter 15. I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 14 as we look down through verse 33, continuing. And what are the final two weeks of our series of sermons on core convictions? Let's look together at God's Word. Verse 14, Romans 15. Paul said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by both word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who've never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go on to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia I have been pleased to make some contribution for poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We're in our series of messages entitled Core Convictions. I hope you have been able to ground your mind into this definition by now, that core convictions are how our theology and our motives express themselves practically. So we take our statement of faith, we take our motivational statement, our mission statement, we bring them together and we have these practical expressions of who we are and what we believe as a church and what that looks like in our everyday, every week Christian ministry. So we, we've looked so far at eight of these core convictions. There are ten of them by the time we complete. We've looked at meaningful membership gathering together, expository preaching, disciple-making, gospel centrality, congregational singing, generous giving, and remembering Jesus in the realm of the Lord's Supper. Well, this morning, our ninth core conviction is simply 
global missions. Global missions. And, and here's the subtitle that I want you to see as we bring this through practically here in our church. We send and support missionaries across the region and around the world in order to take the gospel to those who have never heard and to plant more churches for the glory of God. This is our commitment to global missions. As a church here at Laurel, our core conviction is that we send and support missionaries across the region and around the world in order to take the gospel to those who've never heard and to plant more churches for the glory of God. Now, every word of Scripture is inspired by God. Every word of Scripture is inspired by God, and it's filled with His dynamic power and authority. But there are some books of the Bible that tend to be more enjoyed due to the clarity of that book or the comprehensive nature of its message. Our textbook this morning is one of those books, the book of Romans. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul who, after Jesus Christ, of course, was the greatest theologian and missionary who ever lived. It's been crowned by many believers as the greatest letter in all the Bible. Perhaps no other book has been used more to lead lost sinners to saving faith in Christ than the book of Romans. Perhaps the one who led you to Christ opened up the scriptures to Romans chapter 3 and they began to share with you that all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And then maybe they went to Romans chapter 6 and reminded you that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then the Romans 5a, God commends, demonstrates, proved his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then the Romans 10, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the book of Romans has been largely used in our evangelistic efforts to help people come to the acknowledgement that they are lost and without Christ, and in need of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Even a review of church history will remind us that it was the book of Romans that spurred what would become the Protestant Reformation in the heart of Martin Luther, who used it to protest against the works-driven theology of the Catholic Church. And as he took the book of Romans, he there, what spurred the Protestant Reformation is that he showed these people who were blinded by Catholic dogma and theology, he showed them that salvation is not by works. No, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. That all took place in the heart of Martin Luther when he began to read through the book of Romans. But among all that we know about the letter of Romans, maybe we've never considered that in simple terms, Romans is a missionary support letter. That's what the book of Romans is. It's a missionary support letter. Now we understand, most of us do, missionary support letters. In fact, I have one here. Uh, in my Bible this morning, this is the most recent uh, missionary support letter from uh, our church planter in the Bronx, uh, Ken Baker, his wife Denise, and their family. This was their uh, summer letter. If you're on their email list, you get this. You'll get another one probably this week for their fall letter. And we get missionary letters like this from around the world on a regular basis. Uh, dear pastors and friends, and then he goes on to share with us what their ministry of the gospel has been like in this particular season of life, season in their ministry. We, we get these missionary letters as Christians, as churches. We, we understand them. And so that's how we need to view the book of Romans. It's a missionary support letter. In fact, John Piper said it's the greatest missionary support letter that has ever been written. Now, for instance, 
In the opening seven verses of chapter 1, Paul identifies his calling by God to take the gospel to all the nations. He then proceeds to tell the church at Rome how much he longs to come and see them. They've supported his ministry financially. They had prayed for and encouraged each other. He informs them that on this occasion he's preparing his missionary team to go to the country of Spain to preach the gospel there and to plant churches for the glory of God. In fact, as we read in our opening text, he's asking them to financially help them get to Spain. So so think about that in the terms of our own acknowledgement of global missions. What we do as a church in the realm of global missions, that is sending missionaries and supporting missionaries and financially helping missionaries, we do that because this is what we see patterned for us in the New Testament. Global missions was a core conviction of the early church. The early church understood that missions was not a program of the church. No, mission is the purpose of the church. That as they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, they then knew that they were to start in Jerusalem and then go to Samaria and then go to Judea and then go wherever the gospel takes you and preach the gospel to anyone who will hear it. It was the core conviction of the early church. And then we look at the evidence of our own Bibles. Because all of these New Testament epistles, these letters that we have in the New Testament, they are the fruit of Christians who were willing to go and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to where it had never been. That's missions. Missions is a global effort to take the gospel of Jesus to those who have never heard its message. That's what missions is. I'm going to say it again. Missions is a global effort to take the gospel of Jesus to those who have never heard its message. Now, when we talk about core convictions, as we have been doing for the last several months, and that core convictions are the practical expressions of our theology... And our motives, then we need to surely note that we do not have the right theology, nor do we have the right motives if it does not lead us to go ourselves or send others to take the gospel to those who've never heard it. So if missions is not a core conviction of our church, then friends, we need to forfeit our status as a church. Missions is the heart of God, and missions is to be the heart of the church. So, packed here in this letter of Romans, and unbelievably so, through 15 years of ministry, and I think we're somewhere around 39 books of the Bible that we've preached through. We're going to start the book of Luke in November, the 40th book. I've yet to preach through the book of Romans. I can't believe that that hadn't happened yet. Which is good for those of you who've just recently come to our our, our ministry, because you know it's going to come, all right? It's going to come. In this letter, Romans, packed fully of not only great theological doctrine and treaties for the church, but it's also filled with correspondence from a missionary to a supporting church, reminding us about the essential work of global missions. And in it, Paul highlights three things that I want us to reflect on this morning. And here's the first one. Number one, he reminds us of a global crisis. A global crisis. All right, this global crisis to which we are in right now, this global crisis to which we speak of can be summarized by two phrases in verse 21. So look there, chapter 15, verse 21. Two phrases that Paul uses here that describes a global crisis. And that is, 
There are those who have never been told, and there are those who have never heard. There are those who have never been told, and there are those who have never heard. And here's why Paul tells us that this is such a great crisis, a crisis that he has given his life to, a crisis that my family have given my life to. Because the wrath of God is against all unrighteousness, regardless of whether or not they've heard. Regardless of whether or not they've been told. It is a great crisis because the wrath of God is against all sin. The wrath of God is on sinners. The wrath of God is on all unrighteousness. Paul opens up the letter of Romans in Romans chapter 1. He gives us that glorious statement by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for whoever believes. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's good news. It is good news because it is in the gospel and only in the gospel that we see the righteousness of God. We need to hear that message because he goes on to say in the very next verse, Romans 1.18, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. So here's this crisis where God's wrath and judgment and condemnation is poured out on all unrighteousness. Yet it is only in the gospel that we can see the righteousness of God. The world is filled with crises. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. War, crime, injustice, poverty, hunger, homelessness. Addictions, sex trafficking, abuse, things that are happening right here in our town, things that are happening all around the world. And these are terrible, terrible sufferings, terrible sufferings that are ultimately the result of living in a fallen world. Yet, these crises are not the greatest crisis. The greatest crisis that is facing this world is the wrath of God. Eternal suffering on those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I wrote down just a couple of notes and thinking about some of the things that, that Paul shared here in the letter of Romans, this this missionary prayer letter, I I wrote down, number one, that God's wrath is being poured out right now. Right now. Jesus even alluded to that when he said, to those who believe on Jesus, they have eternal life right now. But those who don't believe on Jesus are already under the condemnation and wrath of God. So so the wrath of God is being poured out right now. Again, Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed. It's right now revealed. It's being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness. Well, what does that look like? He goes on to talk about that in the remainder of Romans chapter 1. In fact, three times in Romans chapter 1, we see the phrase, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. The wrath of God is being poured out on all unrighteousness right now. What does that look like? It's God giving them up. God giving them up. God giving them up. Well, what's he giving them up to? Romans 1 tells us he's giving them up to their lustful hearts. He's giving them up to their shameless passions. He's giving them over to their immoral minds. And that's why we have such a sin crisis and a moral crisis and things that we've never seen perhaps in our lifetime unfolding before us at this very moment. That is because God's wrath is right now being poured out in judgment on sinners who have rejected him. But I also wrote down here that the fullness of God's wrath is coming God's wrath is being poured out right now, but the fullness of God's wrath is on its way. 
It's coming. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Interesting choice of words, isn't it? You're storing up wrath. You're storing up wrath. Storing it up. You keep adding to it. Your hard heart, your impenitent heart, you're not repentant, you're not coming to Christ, you're suppressing the truth, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. What is the day of wrath? He tells us the day of wrath is when God's righteous judgment will be revealed in full. Romans 2.6, he will render to each one according to their works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he's going to give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. That day's coming. It's being poured out in bits right now. But there's coming a day when God's wrath will be fully released. And I know what some of you are thinking. Especially those of you who are new to the gospel and you're trying to determine all of this. You're thinking to yourself, how could a loving God pour out this kind of wrath? Because God is not only loving, He is just. He is righteous. He is holy in a way that our minds will never be able to comprehend until we see His holiness face to face. And that's why I wrote down this third statement. God's just and holy wrath, his just, that means he has the right to do it, his just and holy wrath is the result of our unjust and unholy sin. You say, it just doesn't sound fair. Well, no, what's not fair is that you and I even are given a chance. That's what's not fair. So we better stop Declaring to God what we think is fair and unfair about Him. What's not fair is that we can be saved. What's not fair is that God had to lay down His innocent, perfect life for fallen sinners like us. What's not fair is that somewhere in God's sovereign providence, He allowed you and I to hear the gospel when there are some who have never heard the gospel. That's not fair. Because what's fair is damnation for all. For all. God is just. He is holy. And that just and holy wrath is because of our unjust and unholy sin. Look at, look, look, listen, listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 3. And I'm just reading several verses in Romans chapter 3. He said, is God unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Is God unrighteous to pour out his wrath on us? Paul answers the question. By no means. For then, how would God judge the world? No, all are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the whole world will be held accountable to God. The whole world. So the emphasis again from Paul's missionary prayer letter is that the greatest crisis facing the world... By the way, a crisis that will never make the nightly news. Nobody is ever going to do a 60-minute special or a 2020 program on the wrath of God being poured out against sinful humanity. So let's not allow that even to distract our own minds into thinking that the greatest crisis is what we're experiencing at the, at the, at the gas tank or in the banking account, or whatever else may be going on. That's not the greatest crisis. The greatest crisis is that the wrath of a just and holy God is being poured out and will be poured out against all sin. That's not good news, Pastor. No, it's not. But this global crisis, secondly, Paul reminds us, is met with an incredible global message. That's the second point, a global message. We see a global crisis, and now we see a global message. Again, back to our text in Romans 15, verse 20. Thus, Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. 
But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So what Paul is saying here is that because there are those who have never heard, because there are those who have never been told, Paul has committed himself to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim it to as many as his life will possibly allow him to. And it's for this reason that he tells the church at Rome that he hasn't had much time to come and visit them yet because he's been so focused on his mission. It's there in verse 22. This is the reason, Paul says, why I have been so often hindered from coming to you. Because there's people who've never heard. There's people who do not know. And there is a message that I have made it my ambition to declare to them. And what is this global message? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not an American gospel. It is not a Jewish gospel. It is a global gospel. It is a gospel for all people, all tongues, all kindreds, all nations. It is a global message that will meet head on against the global crisis of the wrath of God on our lives. The gospel. It's the good news. Yeah, the crisis is the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news that although God's just and holy wrath must punish sin in His great mercy and in His great grace, He came to this earth as a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And here it is. He took upon Himself willingly In the place of sinners, in my place, in your place, he took upon himself his own wrath on the cross so that those who trust in him as Lord and Savior can be saved from wrath and reconciled to God forevermore. That's what the gospel means. The word gospel literally means good news. And this is good news. That I don't have to endure the wrath of God because God endured His wrath in my place. Three key words that I want you to remember about the gospel this morning. Three key words. The first word is incarnation. Incarnation. That is God took on human flesh. God who is a spirit took on human flesh, and he became a man. He walked this earth without ever sinning, solidifying his place as the necessary and sufficient sacrifice for our sin. Incarnation. It's essential to our understanding of the gospel. It was necessary for our sins to be redeemed, for the wrath of God to be satisfied, and that is only one person who could do it, and that is God. Incarnation, the second word, substitution. Substitution. What do we mean by substitution? We mean that as a perfect, sinless man, he took my place. He took my place in death, bearing upon himself all of God's wrath and condemnation for my sin. He took my place substitution you see we looked at the cross and we see Jesus who was there but we should also look to the cross and be reminded that it is I who deserved it but God took my place he he came as a man he took my place and the third word here we're talking about incarnation substitution the third word is Justification. Justification. That through faith in what he has done for me, his grace then legally declares my sinful soul as perfectly righteous before God. That is, in Jesus 
God's wrath was fully satisfied. And I do not stand before God robed in my sinful unrighteousness. No, through faith in Christ, I stand before God robed in Christ's perfection, Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness. That's what makes me justified before God. And of course, there is resurrection if you wanted to add a fourth word. Because resurrection is the seal that completed it all. The Bible says in Romans 3, God put Christ forward as a propitiation. The word propitiation simply means the satisfying of wrath. God put Christ forward to satisfy his own wrath. How did he do that? By his blood. That's substitution. Because his blood was the only blood who could satisfy the wrath of God. Well, how does it make a difference to me? Because we're not universalist. We don't believe that just because Christ died on the cross that everyone's sins are atoned for regardless of whether or not they've heard or regardless of whether or not they've rejected Him. We're not universalists. No, the Bible is very clear that this is received by faith. It's received by faith. So that He, that is God, might be just and justifier. Oh, I love that. He is just in that he condemned sin. He is just in that he poured his wrath out. He is just in that he didn't overlook it. He didn't necessarily remove it. No, he's just because he dealt with it. He's the justifier because the one who took my place Condemned my wrath and sin in his own body. And the one who has faith in Jesus stands righteous before God. John Piper said, no sin goes unpunished. Think of it. No sin goes unpunished. It is either punished in Christ or in hell. It is either punished in Christ or in hell. And today, friends, on account of your faith, on account of your faith, your sin was either punished in Christ on the cross or by rejecting him, your sin will be punished in your own body in hell. This is the message. That by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the beautiful global message of the gospel. No condemnation. No wrath. No hell for those who are in Christ. You see, through the gospel message of Jesus, there's no wrath, no condemnation, no hell, no eternal suffering, no separation from God. Instead, instead, there is forgiveness in Christ, adoption into God's family, heaven as our home, eternal life as our status, and reconciliation with God forever. And here's the promise. Here's the message for all peoples. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart the gospel that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a guarantee. This is the message that needs to be taken to your co-workers and your neighbors and to the people who live across the street. This is the message that needs to be taken to everyone that we come into contact with. This is the message that needs to go around the world. That if you believe, if you confess, you will be saved. Saved from wrath. Saved from eternal suffering. We have a global crisis. We have a global message. But let's, let's conclude with this thought. We have a global opportunity. We have a global opportunity. 
We see this in our text in verses 23 all the way down to the end of the chapter. In fact, we could really say that the entire book, Romans 1 all the way through to Romans 16, is the global opportunity presented for us. See, this global crisis and this global message, it prompted Paul and his supporting churches to make the most of the global opportunities that they had for gospel evangelism and church planting. We have to get this, church family, because I've seen a lot of people travel and raise money and try to get to a field that do not stay Because missions to them was about living in an exotic country. Missions to them was not for the glory of God. It was for the glory of themselves. That's why there are churches built on a lot of people's foundation. Missions is for the glory of God. It's not for the glory of ourselves. And so we have to understand here that Paul's motivation, his motivation to take the gospel around the world was not because it might be cool to go over here and live in Spain for a little while. He recognizes that the wrath of God is being poured out against sinners right now. He recognizes that the day of wrath is coming, but he also acknowledges that he has a message that will help those who've never heard. That's what motivated him to go. And any one of us, pastor, missionary, volunteer, any one of us who wants to see longevity and sustenance in the mission that God has given to us, we have to go for the right motives. It's the opportunity they had for evangelism. The opportunity they had for church planning. Now, let's think about this opportunity practically here for a moment. because I want to share this with you. This is exciting to me. Because here's what we know to be true about this global opportunity, okay? Here's what we know to be true. Let's fast forward to the book of Revelation. Here's what we know to be true. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number. He's talking about those in heaven. Here's where they were from. They were from every nation. They were from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were all crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from Concord, people from Charlotte, people from Harrisburg, people from Mint Hill and Matthews and Indian Trail and Midland. People from North Carolina, people from South Carolina, people from New York, uh, people from California. Americans, Russians, Chinese, Japanese, every tribe, every nation, there are people surrounding the throne of God, giving glory and praise to their Savior. That's what we know the future is going to look like. The point is, people will believe the gospel if they they hear it. All kinds of people will believe the gospel. Not all of them. Not all of them. But some of them will. And some from every nation, some from every tribe, some from every kindred will. So that's what we know to be true. We also know very practically that there is no salvation among the nations without global missions. There's no Revelation chapter 7 without missions. There's no Revelation chapter 7 without preaching the gospel around the world. There is no salvation among the nations without global missions. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thanks be to God for that. But he says in verse 14, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear unless someone goes and tells them? Unless somebody goes and preaches to them? And how will they go and preach unless they are sent? Then Paul adds an amazing picture. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. That preach the good news. Now I was going to illustrate this morning by having all of you take your shoes and socks out. 
but that's not what he meant. Let me tell you what he meant here. This, this amazing picture of how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. In other words, missionaries are beautiful people. That's what he's saying. He says you don't, okay, it's not, not a prerequisite that you have to be stunningly attractive in order to take the gospel. You better make the gospel attractive. It's not based upon your exterior looks. What he's saying is what they do in going to people who've never heard, to people who've never been told, what they give their life up for to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ week after week after week. He says it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful in the eyes of Christ, and it is beautiful in the eyes of Christ's church. Here at Laurel, missionaries are revered. We celebrate them. We love on them. We help them. We want to do what we can to encourage them. They are beautiful in our sight because they're taking the gospel to those who will never hear. And by taking the gospel to those who will never hear, they are rescuing people from the impending wrath of God. For without missionaries, the lost would not hear. And let me remind you again this morning, they must hear. They must hear. They can't believe unless they hear. That's what Romans 10 says. Regardless of who you've been watching on TBN, they can't hear. They can't believe unless they hear. They can't believe unless they hear. And they can't hear unless someone goes. And willing servants of the gospel can't logistically go and preach to them unless they are sent by others. The Joshua Project. They have a website, joshuaproject.net. In fact, if you're looking for a new way, a refreshing way to pray for missionaries and mission fields, I encourage you to bookmark that. Every day they have a different unreached people group that tells you details about the people and the majority religion there and the need for the gospel. And every day you can use that. Operation World is another one. It's an app that I use every day to scroll through praying for these particular people on this day. The joshuaproject.net is the website. Through their statistics, they recognize that there are 17,000, listen carefully, 17,428 people groups in the world. People groups. Talk about every nation, every tribe, every country. People groups. 17,428 of those. Now, 7,417 of those groups are considered unreached. Unreached. 7,000 plus groups of the 17,000 groups in the world are considered unreached. Well, what does that mean? That means less than 2% of that group identify themselves as evangelical Christians. Less than 2%. So by these estimations, on a global scale, there are 7.93 billion people in the world right now. 793 That means on these statistics of people groups that there are 3.4 billion people in the world today that are considered unreached. That is, over 42% of the world has never been told what you and I get to hear week after week. Over 42% of the world has never heard the true gospel. They, they, they may have heard some variation of it, but they've never heard the true gospel. So friends, I share that with you because church, we do not need to get lazy. We have a global opportunity. And to fulfill these opportunities, it takes two things. One, it takes gospel ambition. Gospel ambition. That is a commitment to go. A commitment to go. What did Paul say? He revealed his ambition in verse 20. I have made it my ambition to preach the gospel to those who have never been told, to those who have never heard. It was his ambition. The peoples are not going to be reached unless somebody is willing to go. Unless someone makes it their ambition not to necessarily retire well but to take the gospel to the 42% of the world who's never even heard clearly the name Jesus. Now I know that not all of us are called by God to go. I know that, but many are. 
Many are. And more should certainly be willing to go. I'm thankful for the kins who left rural Illinois by way of Charlotte, North Carolina to go to New York City and plant a church. I'm thankful for Jared Blankenship who could have stayed here his whole life if he wanted to. Well, I don't know about that. I could have fired him to be honest with you. (laughs) But you get what I'm saying. To go to the toughest spot in all of this region. People who are so well off they don't even think they need anything else. To take the gospel to Lake Norman. I'm thankful for the Hemets who go to India and the Josues to go to Mexico and the Mats who go to Honduras. All of these left what they knew, what they knew to go with gospel ambition and to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whom among us is being called to go and do the same. The opportunity is out there, but here's the question. Is the ambition in here? Is the ambition in here? I wrestle with this. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I wrestle with verses like this when I think about Paul saying, I'm not going to build on another man's foundation. Charlotte, North Carolina, the city of churches. More churches per capita than any other major city in the United States of America. And sometimes I wrestle with God. Lord, am I wasting my time? Southern Christianity. People want to fight over this. They want to argue about this. Switching churches every two to three years. And then there are people, God, who've never heard, do I need to pack my family up and go to the Middle East? Do I need to pack my family up and go to China? Am I wasting time, God? I struggle with this. Big time. Big time, church. I'm thankful for those who are willing to step away from what they know because they realize there's an opportunity out here and there's an ambition in here to take the gospel to those who've never heard. It's what it takes for people to go. I know not all of us. I know not all of us are called. But some of us are. Some of us are. Here's the second thing it takes. It takes ecclesiastical partnership. All right, gospel ambition, a commitment to go. Ecclesiastical partnership, that is churches who will send them. Churches who will send them. You can read verses 22 through 31, and you'll see the heart of Paul's prayer letter. He's writing to this church, the church at Rome, among other churches, who sent him to do gospel work. In those verses, and I'm not going to go back and read it because my time is well past, what we see here is that the church at Rome sent him, they prayed for him, they supported him, they helped him, they encouraged him, they communicated with him, they loved him, they refreshed him. They rejoiced with him. Some even risked their lives for him and his mission. It's amazing. Look look at it there. You're in chapter 15. Look look at chapter 16 and verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life. This church had entered into a partnership to send him no matter the cost. He was on his way to Spain, but he knew he couldn't get there without the partnership of that local church in Rome. And this is God's plan. This is God's plan. Gospel ambition, ecclesiastical partnership. A commitment to go, churches who will send. A commitment to go, churches who will send. Now, these opportunities for partnerships have been there, and they remain for our church. Let me encourage you on a couple of things. By your commitments and ongoing giving during last November's Missions Weekend, and we'll do it again in November when we take up commitments by God's grace and help to give a certain amount to missions in the next 12 months. By your commitments last year, we've already surpassed it. We've given nearly $75,000 to global missions so far in 2022. The year's not over yet. Praise the Lord for that. That doesn't even include the special offerings or the Operation Christmas Child stuff and even the local outreach that we do here. It doesn't even include, that's just, that's just domestic and international missions. We've sent missionary church planters and started two domestic churches, one in New York City, one in Cornelius. And by the way, the one in Cornelius, we didn't just send a couple, we sent 30 people from our church to go with them. Not because they were mad, we did it the right way. 
I'll not support any church plant out of this church just because you want to be the pastor. All right. We have fully funded, we have fully funded two international churches in Nicaragua right now. Oscar, who's pastoring in Hinatega, and Pablo, who's pastoring in Matagapa. We've partnered with missionaries to India, Honduras, Spain, Mexico, Taiwan, Haiti, and multiple undisclosed locations in the Middle East. All of that happening right now. We've partnered with medical missionaries. Some of you are going to go on one of those medical missions trips in November. We've, we've partnered with children's orphanages. We've partnered with American church planners in Europe who are right now in Spain and Germany starting churches right next door to U.S. military bases. We're even excited to begin new partnerships in the days and months ahead. Here's what I want you to get in your mind. Some sinned. Some go. But all of us are to participate. Some sin, some go. But all of us are to participate. Which means you're either a going Christian, a sending Christian, or a disobedient Christian. I know here at Laurel, most of us, obviously, are sending. And we have to have stable, strong churches who have the resources to send. But maybe some of us should pray about whether or not we should go. But whether we stay here the rest of our lives and keep sending, or whether we choose to go, all of us, are to be involved. Praying, giving, encouraging, loving, rejoicing, communicating, serving. You see, the world needs the gospel of Jesus. And that requires Christians who are willing to go and churches who are passionately sending them. Because we have a message. We have a message for the nations, a savior for all kinds of people so let's take the gospel to those who've never heard its message and let's plant more churches here and around the world for the glory of God missions it's a core conviction it's a global effort to take the gospel of Jesus to those who've never heard it stand together for prayer.